guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and you're listening to Specify, the Building Materials Innovation Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to help the entrepreneurs and the innovators who are making a positive difference in the building materials, coatings, and construction industry. Each episode, we'll tap leaders and experts from inside and outside the industry to provide the mental tools, skills, and insights to make an impact. Today's guest is Sean Van Dyke, a construction industry consultant, author, business coach, and mentor. He's a keynote speaker and travels the U.S. training construction business owners. Sean, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, it's great to be here, Taz. Thanks so much for having me. Perfect. Now, tell me more about your background, Sean. Oh, gosh. I guess if we go, <laughs> go way back... I started my career in, in and around construction through the avenue of engineering. So I got a couple of degrees in engineering, civil engineering, and then a master's in structural engineering and did that for several years. And then I realized that I didn't really know how to build anything. Uh, so I <laughs> wanted to get into So I probably just offended any engineers out there. But, you know, that was always kind of a joke between contractors and engineers that they don't engineers didn't know how to build anything. But I I wanted to get out in the field so that I could see the things that I was designing going into place. And I I like to say that I chose that path, but I really got laid off from the engineering firm that I was working (laughs) for downturning the economy. So ended up becoming a project manager for a large commercial contractor, did quality control and project management for them for uh, a couple of years. Then just kind of Meandered my way in and around the construction industry, worked for an architecture firm doing site development. Then I went to work for a real estate developer as a construction manager. Love that job. Mm-hmm. That was traveling all over the US, building commercial real estate developments, large big box retails with the outlying shops and the outlots and tens of millions of dollars in those properties and several years to from beginning to completion and running all aspects of that. That was a lot of fun. But like I said, that put me on the road a lot. I had a couple of kids and my wife was like, I don't care what you do, but you need to stick around the house a little bit more. So I started my own real estate development company specializing in construction management and only worked on projects in and around where I live. I'm in in Knoxville, Tennessee. Had that company for several years. That was until about 2008, 2009 when the banks stopped borrowing money or stopped lending money to real estate developers as well as everybody else. So I shifted, made a pivot and started a residential remodeling company and did that for several years. And then I joined forces. Well, I really got recruited on by one of my very good friends who was also one of my subcontractors. So I was a general contractor and he was running a trim and millwork company. And he had a small company, about six to eight employees and typical construction business owner coming up, starting out great at his trade, great at his craft, absolutely beautiful work, but horrible at business. Mm. So he, he asked me to come in and run his company for him so that he could go out and focus on recruiting guys and being out in the field and putting the work in place. And kind of, so he was uh, was out in the field and I was in the office as the COO. So was there for about four years. And that's when I really kind of realized that all of the systems and the processes that I had developed over the years and 
running and owning my own businesses were scalable. Before I was my engineer kind of brain always looked at things very analytically and systematically. And so I was put I was creating systems for myself. Mm-hmm. But then when I become the COO of the Trim and Millwork company, we went from eight guys out in the field to over 20, not making any profit and heavily in debt to over a million dollars in revenue, becoming profitable and finally paying the owner the salary that an owner should be paid for that size of company. And we did that. We had that turnaround in about 18 months. And it was then that I realized that all of these systems or most of these systems that I had developed and as my own were scalable. Mm. And so I thought after about four years with that company, I thought, well, maybe I can take this and help other construction companies because I know these systems are scalable. Mm -hmm. So I left that job and started doing the construction business consulting and coaching that I'm doing now. And that led to traveling the country and speaking and training other contractors and working with contractors all over the United States and some internationally too. Mm-hmm. And then wrote a book last year and published that, Profit First for Contractors. And that really took off. And so it's it's been kind of a kind of a whirlwind now that now that we kind of run down memory lane. It's, <laughs> it's that's that spans about 21, 22 years since I graduated with my first degree. So I've been yeah, it's been a little crazy. That's awesome. I mean, it looks like you've you've touched on every aspect of the the construction industry, right? When you work with someone, uh, what do you typically see as their sort of first sort of failing point? Well, I learned this early on too when I started coaching clients is everybody struggles with the numbers. Most construction business owners do. They just don't quite understand how the financial part of their business works. So I used to jump in right there because and I would tell my clients all the time, once you learn the math, the math doesn't change. It always stays the same. You just have to reapply it. Everything else in your business is going to change. People are going to change. Market conditions will change. Trends and other things outside of your control. But one thing you can be sure of is if you understand the math and the financial aspects of your business, then you can weather a lot of those storms that are coming. And in fact, you can use those systems to kind of predict what may may happen. Well, I used like I said, I used to jump in right there. Mm-hmm. But when you're taking a very busy construction business owner who's very strapped for time because they probably aren't pricing their work correctly. They're mm-hmm. not making the profit that they should be making for the for the value that they of the the value of the work that they put in place and the effort that they put forward, then to have them jump into a coaching program right away, well time is the problem. Mm-hmm. They've got to make time for the coaching and the mentoring. So now I've I've kind of adjusted my coaching programs. That's where we start everybody out with because time is the same for everybody. We all have the same amount of time. And so I will start with my with my construction business clients and just say, "All right, let's design your ideal week." That's where I start with a lot of mm. them. Now, there's some other low-hanging fruit that we can add just say, "Hey, you need to charge more." The numbers mean you just got to raise your prices by 10% or you're doing something that's inefficient or you're not getting as much production here. Those are, I won't say easy changes. Those are simpler changes, but everybody struggles with the time management. So we got to create some time because they got to create time in their schedule to meet with me and have discussions with me and time to implement the things we're talking about. So that's one of the biggest challenges that I see for most construction business owners is 
managing. I, I shouldn't, I don't even, I teach them not to say, man, I don't want to manage. I don't want them to manage their time. Mm-hmm. I want them to prioritize their time. Mm. When you prioritize your time and not everything can be a priority. Only, only really one thing in the true sense of the word, only one thing can be a priority. Mm-hmm. So identifying what the most important aspect of what it is they do as construction business owners, we focus on that. We delegate other stuff. So I kind of walked through the Stephen R. Covey's four quadrants, if people are familiar with that. Mm-hmm. So it's quadrant number one, important, but not urgent. That's where we need to decide. Let's decide what we want to do. That's where the planning takes place. The other important and urgent stuff, quadrant two, well, we need to we need to do that stuff. There's always stuff that we're going to need to do. And so we decide, what is it that you need to do? If it's not something you're planning or deciding, and it's something that that you're doing, then you either got to delegate it, quadrant number three, or delete it, quadrant number four. So I kind of walk them through that in identifying their most important aspects of their jobs as business owners. And we just kind of walk through that. We decide what to do so that we can delegate and delete. Decide what to do to delegate and delete. And we just, I come back to that every week when I'm dealing with my, with my clients. Hey, how's the, have you decided on what you want to do and what have we delegated and what have you gotten rid of? Mm-hmm. Now, h- how much of the stuff that most people or most of these owners do that, that need to be deleted? Oh, <laughs> gosh. Well, that, that's personal to everybody, but yeah. is one of those things where when I started my coaching business, I didn't know how to... I'd never been a business coach before. I didn't know how to attract and be known and market these sorts of services, especially online and internationally. So I was working... Again, when I started the idea or when I had the idea, I was still working for the Trim and Millwork company as the COO, you know, working 50, 55 hours a week. So I didn't have much time. And in order to be fair to my employer and fair to my family, I realized like I've got to find some more time. And what I did is I stopped watching TV. Mm-hmm. I stopped listening to the radio. I've got, I've got five kids. So we still watch the Netflix, whatever Pixar movie was out. We always watch that. But I also started getting up earlier in the morning. I found what I call my magic hours between 4.30 a.m. and 6.30 a.m. None of the kids are up. There's no activity going on. And I dedicated that time to learning this new business. And I did it seven days a week for about six months. And I learned how to launch this business in those early morning hours. So everybody's got junk that they need to delete. And I always tell people, when they asked me, well, how did you do it? I was like, I just turned off the TV, stopped listening to the radio. I just started listening to books and podcasts because that's just good knowledge and life changed. So, and I don't, I don't like any, I don't have any white space on my calendar. Mm. Everything people say, oh, that's, that's so, that seems too rigid. And I'm like, no, no. Part of the thing that is planned on the calendar is free time. Like, there's large chunks of my schedule that are planned downtime or free time, but those things are planned. And when they're planned, then they happen before we say, Oh, I'll do, I'll take the day off when I get a chance or whatever. But if those things that downtime that doesn't get planned, then it doesn't get done. And you look up and the year's gone by and you haven't taken a vacation and you've disappointed your family and you're not really any further along in your business. So for me, not watching TV, listening to the radio, and 
trying to cut out as much junk on the internet, which is funny to say, because that's how I advertise my services. And that's how I'm known as <laughs> social media and on the internet, but there's a lot of good information out there, but I'm just like anybody else. There's a lot of distractions out there too. So just eliminating distractions will give you, well, it really give you your life back. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, structure creates freedom, right? So that's, that's uh, right. I would say that there's, there's freedom within boundaries mm-hmm. between here and here. You can do whatever you want, whether that's free time, whether that's work. That's, that's what I will tell my clients in training employees. Like just tell them what the boundaries are, make sure they know what their job is. And you say between these boundaries, you're free to do your job, get, mm-hmm. get it done. Don't, don't break any policies and don't do anything stupid, but there's actually a lot of freedom within boundaries. Mm. So yeah, the time management stuff, I think rings uh, true for a lot of people, just finding that time to do that. Now you touched on another subject, which I, I know a lot of people or a lot of my listeners uh, get all riled up about is pricing, having the courage to price your services appropriately. There's that race to the bottom that a lot of people get stuck in. How do you pull people out of that? Well, that's, I just go back to the math part of it, first of all, and show them what the math says that you need to be charging for your business. And every business is different. So especially contractors, we're selling our cost of goods sold. That's the stuff that we buy, we mark up, and we sell to our clients. And we have to mark those cost of goods sold up by enough to pay for all of our expenses. And it's got to, that markup has got to be high enough so it leaves us with a net profit. That's the pretty basic accounting financial equations there. And what I find with a lot of construction business owners, when they're struggling with cash flow or they're struggling with profits, it's because they're just not charging enough. And the way that I will take a look at it and say, what did you pay yourself last year? And usually it's a pretty low number. And it doesn't matter what size the company is, whether it's a million dollar company or a hundred million dollar company, but your pay as the, when I'm talking to owner operator here, I say, if you couldn't work in the business, how much would you have to pay somebody to come in and do all of the jobs that you do? And usually the answer to that is something much higher than what they're paying themselves now. And I say, if, if it would take two people or three people to do what it is that you do, and you're not charging, the market value Mm. for those three people, then you're actually giving that work away. So we work out the math of what that needs to be and show them, hey, it's not that you're just raising your prices. No, you're actually charging for what a profitable construction company charges for to do the work. And a lot of smaller construction business owners kind of take a look at that and they say, well, I'm doing the estimating, I'm doing the design work, I'm doing the project management. And I'll just ask them, well, do you know of any construction companies that have a project manager, a designer, an estimator working? They say, yeah, of course they do. (laughs) Do you think they're making money? Yeah, they probably are. So it is possible. It is possible to charge for all of those things. And we just use the math to to show the gap. And a lot of times it's contractors just are 20 or 30% too low from what they need to be charging. And... They say, well, I don't understand how I'm going to get there, Sean. Like that's like my clients don't want to pay my price now. How am I going to get, get them to pay 20%, 30% more? I said, oh, that's the simple part. You just get better clients. 
(laughs) Well, how do we get better clients? Well, you start selling your value. You start saying no to unprofitable work. You start doing good business practices, marketing, not just relying on word of mouth. Word of mouth is good if you control the words people are saying about you. But you got to start doing all of these other things. And so when you get these things in line, it just makes sense. You see the numbers. You understand that the clients that got you here aren't the kind of clients that are going to get you to the next level. So you identify the clients that are going to get you to the next level. You start marketing to them. And then you have to know how to sell. Like I think there's so many construction business owners out there that grew their businesses through word of mouth and relationships. And that's great. That's how a lot of business is done. But eventually, you're going to grow out of your network of people. And you need to know how to turn somebody cold into warm to a closed deal. Mm-hmm. And that takes some sales strategy. It's not just, it's not good enough just to be a nice guy or gal. Yeah. It's not, it's not even good enough to have the best product or service. Like people are going to buy the products and service that they understand the fastest and that they see the most often and they can understand very quickly. And I get that line from, from Donald Miller. If anybody's, familiar with Donald Miller and the story brand, but that's so, it's so key. If you're struggling in your construction business, it might be because you're not selling your value mm-hmm. and you need to develop a system to sell the value. And then the price, well, it just takes care of itself. And there's always going to be somebody cheaper than you. Mm-hmm. So if you're focused on price, like you said, it's just a race to the bottom. Mm. You mentioned storytelling as part of that. Is that one of the ways you get your clients, nice guys, good at executing at a regional level to kind of become that sort of value sort of selling individual? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's through storytelling. A lot of contractors will, and it's very easy these days. I was actually just giving a, a speech last week mm-hmm. at a convention where I was talking about a lot of contractors will, will start telling their story yep. and their story usually is very technical. Mm. meaning they're talking about their process. They're talking about their, their technical experience. They're talking about their quality. All those are good things, but that's not where a story starts out. The story always starts out painting with the hero in trouble, with mm. an obstacle to overcome. And you're not sure if the hero is going to get there. And guess what? The hero ain't the contractor. Mm-hmm. The hero is the customer. Mm-hmm. So you got to start talking about your customer's pain points and how you solve them and how, how hiring you is going to benefit them. Once they see that, they associate that, they associate you with their success. Then they invite you into a conversation to say, okay, now tell me about you. Like you're talking about my pain point and I want the success that, that you mentioned. Yeah. Before I buy that, I need to know a little bit more about you, but I'm, I'm really already sold. I just need to know the details now. That's when you can say, we've got 20 years of experience. Here's our process. Here's some more technical information about why you should go about doing that. But once you get that system in place, I find the confidence, the confidence for the construction business owner goes way up because they realize it is just a system. Your clients have all got the same problems. Learn how to solve, learn how to sell and how to deliver the benefits on one, two, three, four, five problems. Then all of the questions you're going to get about price, 
about schedule, about all of these things that give you a little bit of heartburn right now, when someone asks you, you realize they're all the same. That's why you should focus in and work on targeting your ideal client. Everybody talks about the ideal client because your ideal clients all have the same problems. Solve those problems and you don't have to try and solve everybody's problems. You just solve the problems for the clients that want the work and the services that you provide. And confidence goes way up. And I get calls from my clients all the time that said, Sean, the thing that you said, the thing that you said the client would respond when I said that, that's exactly what they said. And so I told them this and they said, okay, yeah, let's do it. And it's just, <laughs> it's so freeing for them. That's awesome. Now you, you mentioned social media lessons, waking up early, you're learning and stuff. This is a big part of how you kind of amplify your message and your storytelling. What have you learned? What are the big lessons in sort of integrating social media to everything you do? Well, I learned that copywriting or good copy matters. Mm -hmm. So I'm not talking about copywriting as in intellectual property. I'm talking about writing words. Yep. We think in words. We, people respond to words. And so words really matter. And it's actually very difficult to be concise. And I'm one of the worst ones of it. If people already listen now. They're like, man, this guy talks a lot. I get it. It's even harder to write that down in a message. So that was one of those things that I had to study. And I'm not an expert at it. I mean, I've written a couple of books. I eventually hired a copywriter to take all of the crap that I wrote and made it make it better. Mm -hmm. But writing copy is difficult. But when you when you can figure out, and there's formulas for it and things that things that you need to put together and, and sequence in a certain way. But copywriting is very effective. And I think that if construction business owners studied how to deliver copy better, then they could see some bigger results on the sales side. But even Gosh, even in meetings too, even meetings with employees, you come into a meeting and you do small talk and you waste 15 minutes, you wasted everybody's time and they're saying, why are we here? And you're not concise in those meetings and everybody walks out of there going, what was the point? What, what did we learn or what was the action item? As opposed to walking into the meeting and saying, team, we have a problem. Here's the problem and we need this outcome. What are your solutions? Go around the table, ask for the solutions, and then say, which, ones, which one of these solutions do we want to work on right now? And what can we accomplish? Great. Who's going to do that? John, Sally, and Tim. Awesome. Report back next week. Meeting adjourned. I'm being a little facetious here, but mm -hmm. that's also good storytelling. Here's the problem. What's the solution? And what actions are we going to take? Very cool. Now, with all the stuff you're doing, was I guess when you write, wrote the book, was that the turning point or did that turning point come sort of quicker for you with, with what you're doing now? Yeah, I would say the turning point came much earlier than that, really even before I started this business. And I remember exactly where I was. I was, of all places, I was in my bathroom one morning, brushing my teeth, mm -hmm. looking in the mirror, and I just realized it was in the spring. And I don't know what made me think about this, but I realized that it had been 19 years since I graduated from college mm. with my undergrad. So this was a few years ago. And I was like, wow, that's almost 20 years since that I've been in this business. And I just told myself, oh my gosh, I'm an expert. And here's how I define being an expert. I said, if anybody asks me a question around construction, I either A, know the answer to the question, or B, I know who to call to get the answer. Mm. 
And when I realized that, I thought, I'm an expert now. And that gave me that epiphany that that morning in the bathroom, brushing my teeth, I realized that I had something valuable to offer to other people. And here's the other thing from that. I realized as I started going out on social media, asking questions and following and engaging with people as I was trying to start to build, build this business, I realized very early on that what was basic knowledge to me was expert knowledge to somebody else. Mm. So a lot of people will jump out there saying, oh, reading a profit and loss statement, that line's no big deal. Making a budget and reviewing it monthly, yeah, that's, you know, that's no big deal. What people really need are these complicated, the big, big stuff. Like really, how are we going to scale the business or how do we want to grow? And, and it's like, no, they, I lost them already. They're back saying, okay, what again does a profit and loss statement measure? And how do you conduct effective meetings? Or how do you, how do you interview somebody that you may be thinking about hiring? And so all of that stuff, I just had done it so much that was basic to me, but it's exactly what a lot of my clients needed. And so that was that moment for me was just, gosh, my basic knowledge of stuff, not because I'm smarter than anybody else. It's just, this is what I've been doing for so long. The basic stuff was expert knowledge to somebody else. And that was very valuable for them. I just focused on being basic, really, and offering basic information to me in a consistent format, in a comprehensible format that I knew my audience wasn't already getting. Makes a lot of sense. Now, you're obviously, your book is becoming very, very much popular. You're in demand. What sort of habits or routines keep you on track? Oh, that's a great question. I actually had posted something on Twitter and, and Instagram just yesterday on that. Mm. I've developed this really, well, it, it's still weird to me, especially when I talk about it out loud, but this weird morning routine. My morning routine has changed my life. It's changed everything. So, you know, I described before how I got up early from 4.30 to 6.30 mm-hmm. to start building this business. And as I was reading books and I listen to a lot of audio books now because I can listen to them. I can consume more books faster by listening to them. Again, because I'm always listening to books in the shower when I'm driving, it kind of annoys my wife. But <laughs> anyway, I, I use those couple hours in the morning to write my first book, The Paperwork Punch List, and to start this business. And then when I kind of had got it started, I thought, well, that time is very, very productive for me. And as I started listening to other very successful people, I heard them say the same things about mindfulness, about meditation, about morning routine, about just healthy habits in the morning, intermittent fasting, working out, all of this stuff. And I'm kind of a stubborn guy. And those kind of stuff all sounded weird to me. And I thought they were stupid. But then I realized enough successful people were doing these things that maybe I should try them out. Maybe I'm not the smartest guy in the room. So I started with meditating, just kind of starting each day, clearing my mind and trying. It sounds weird. I know it's still weird to me, but it's effective not trying to think about anything, not sitting down, like thinking about the day ahead. No, specifically not trying to think about anything. And I realized that there was a lot of creative stuff going on in your brain there. When you quiet it down, then that stuff, those, that small little whisper can kind of come out. And so I started the day, start the day with that. Oh, and I also discovered contrast showers. Go look it up, Google it. It's a thing. It's like a hot, take a hot and then cold shower and 
it's crazy, but man, cold showers, love them, do them every day. So contrast shower to meditation, drink my coffee in a very specific way. That's part of my morning routine. Then I do some journaling where, where I'm writing down what I call my priority stack. So I don't do to-do lists anymore because to-do lists are a waste of time. They don't include time. So they're again back to the priority thing. They're just a random list of things. So I call, I make what I call a priority stack. The three most important things I need to get done that day. That's it. If I get those three things done, then I've accomplished, then I can say that today is a win. So I always write down the three most important things for that day. Now, I don't always get all three of them done and I do other things, but those set the priorities for the day. Then I do some prayer and Bible reading and then I write, I write out my gratitude. So again, that was something that sounded stupid when I heard it. People talk about being grateful and whatever, speaking to the universe. And again, I understand how crazy that sounds. I thought it did too. But when I started out the day, clearing my mind, doing some healthy things, journaling, getting my mind right, and then start before I started my work day, just writing down three things that I'm grateful for. And it really, really accelerated my productivity going into the morning. Now, getting up at 4.30 every day, people always ask me, well, what time do you go to bed? I go to bed later than I should. It's usually between 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock. I still need to get more sleep. But like I said earlier, I have five kids. <laughs> if by the time by the time we get all the kids down to bed, if I went to sleep at eight or nine, like I probably should get a good eight hour sleep, then I would never see my wife and I would never get to talk to her. So so I'm working on the sleep part of it. But yeah, that morning routine is has been critical and I've been pretty pretty consistent with it over the past three years. And I always tell people, they say, does all that stuff work? And I'll say, All right. I'll put it this way. I don't know if it works or not, but this is how I describe it. Before I did any of that, I hadn't written two books. Mm -hmm. After I started doing that, I wrote two books. You decide. (laughs) That's right. You never know until you try. That's right. That's right. So mentioned a little bit earlier, do you still carry any hobbies? I mean, it's it's sort of work is fun. It's a hobby. Or what do you have going on besides your day-to-day with speaking and writing and all that stuff? Yeah. So my favorite hobby, I don't get to do it as much as I would like, but it is uh, fly fishing. Mm. I really, really love fly fishing. And I write about it in my book, Profit First for Contractors. In fact, that was, I tell the story in the book that it's because of fly fishing that I kind of realized how to take the Profit First system and translate it to work for contractors, specifically construction business owners. So Fly fishing, I've been doing that for, I don't know how long, 20, 20 years, maybe 15, mm-hmm. 20 years and absolutely love it. Wish I could do it more. But again, with five kids, you're being a dad, if that classifies as a hobby, I mean, it's my, you know, it's my job, but my, I have four boys and a girl. So we had four boys and a little baby girl and all of the boys, they range right now, ages 13 down to seven. They all do karate and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Ah, so cool. about five years ago, I because I was at the dojo so much with them, dropping them off and picking them up from classes and hanging out and that kind of stuff. Then the owner said, you know, you should you should sign up for one of our classes, taking karate or, or one of the other things. And I was like, no, I don't want to get punched in the face. At the time, <laughs> I was 40 years old. I was like, no, I'm not. And I was watching those guys fight. I'm like, they're really, really fast. I really don't want to get punched in the face. And he said, well, then you should go over there with those guys. 
And I looked over in the corner of the mat or the corner of the dojo there, and there were some older guys my age what rolled around in what I thought were their bathrobes. I was like, well, yeah, they're not punching each other. What's that? And they're like, oh, that's Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's like grappling and self-defense and things. And so I was like, all right, maybe I'll give that a try. So I started that about five years ago and love it. Absolutely love it. So I would say that besides being a dad and doing all the dad stuff, it's fly fishing and uh, jujitsu. Those are my hobbies right now. Very cool. I love it. Is there anything that, that I didn't ask but should have? Oh, man. It's a good question. Yeah, like how can people get my book so they can make their construction business permanently profitable? Go to ProfitFirstContractor.com and get my book, Profit First for Contractors. That was a little plug. Maybe you weren't looking for that, but... No, that's, that's fine. No, I, I, I think <laughs> you have some very good, very good points. And I, I, I hear this a lot, you know, with the pricing and this... The time aspect, I think, I think it's critical. I think, like you said, if you're a billionaire or you're just starting out, we all have the same time. So that's a great place to start. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. So, Sean, thank you so much. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. And I'm sure everyone got a lot out of it. Oh, thank you, Tad. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.